Hey, good morning. It's good to be with you again. Jonathan Dunn here, streaming from Rick Bonfin Ministries. A reminder that uh, there's people from all over the world watching our program, uh, and we really try to remember that, and we believe that these the Bible is applicable to any person, in any culture, in any time. And so our heart and our desire is to encourage the body of Christ to strengthen believers, to present the Word of God faithfully and as accurately as we can, to edify, build, and comfort the church. And so we hope that that happens to you this morning as we look at Acts chapter 20. And we're going to begin in Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. And we'll go through about 12 verses of, uh, of Acts chapter 20. And this begins, uh, if, you, if you watched on a Friday morning last week, um, my dear friend Betty McKinney did the teaching on the riot in Ephesus that was started by Demetrius. And uh, Demetrius caused a lot of trouble, and Paul had been in Ephesus for over two years. And, uh, and after a while, uh, you know, some people started to take notice because it was getting into their pocketbooks. And so there was a riot, and finally the, the town clerk, and it's, it's actually really kind of a funny Bible study too, so, you know, I encourage you to go watch that um, from uh, last Friday. Um, and then also make sure that you listen. If you didn't listen yesterday morning, Pastor Rick taught on Acts 19, verses 1 to 10. And if you've ever had any confusion about tongues, about the purpose of tongues, about where it fits in the Christian life and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Go and, go and listen to that, and it will begin to just reduce your anxiety level about tongues. <laughs> it'll, it'll bring it down to, to an understanding that it's a really good thing and absolutely nothing to be scared of, okay? The Corinthians were wacko. You're not wacko. You're just somebody who loves Jesus and trying to live your life for God, and if tongues is from the Lord, then why wouldn't you want it? That, that, you know, that's, that's the way I put it, you know. That's just kind of how I say it. If it's from God, then it's got to be good. Um, anyway, so go and listen to that from Pastor Rick. Well, let's, let's move on. So in Acts chapter 20, after, the, uh, after the, the uproar in Ephesus, okay, that is sort of the catalyst for Paul to depart after he had stayed in Ephesus for at least two years. So I'm going to read the first six verses. And so uh, we'll spend about the first 10, 15 minutes on the first six verses. Uh, seven verses, and then uh, we'll talk about Eutychus, the young man who falls out the window, and then uh, that should that should do it. If if I manage my time well, I can get through it. So let's see how I do. Verse one: After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now, when he had gone over to that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him in Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and Tychius, and Trophimus of Asia. Okay? Name dropping here. And I will, I, I will tell you, you know, you could do a study on every single one of these names, 
I've chosen not to halt, uh, you know, the text to 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 study in depth each name, um, but we'll mention why these guys might be there. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of leavened bread. In other words, uh, Philippi is just on the other side, um, and so Paul and Luke stay in Philippi. The other guys went to Troas, and then after Passover, they come and meet them. Uh, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Okay, So we have a lot of things going on here. We have a lot of movement, a lot of places mentioned, a lot of names mentioned. We have a lot of time mentioned, some very specific times, you know, five days, seven days, three months. Um, so chapter 20 begins an interesting series of events in which Paul departs from Ephesus, has lots of movement going up through Asia, then through Macedonia, back down through Greece. And then when he gets to Greece, um, he wants to depart Greece after staying for three months, and he wants to go uh, to Syria, probably back to Antioch, and then down to Jerusalem, most likely for Passover. However, because the Jews had plotted against him, uh, and most likely the Corinthian, if you, if you remember uh, Pastor Randy the Groot teaching, uh, teaching us about what happened in Corinth, there were some guys that got really mad at Paul. And uh, they just did not, he just was messing up everything. And so, uh, anyway, it's probably those guys, you know, wanted to kill him. And uh, so anyway, so Paul decides not to go over to Syria from Corinth because it would have been uh, a lot of other Jews who would have been going to Jerusalem for Passover and he would have been an easy target. target. Most likely... He and his buddies were carrying a lot of money because as you read Paul's epistles, he had been collecting money from all the churches to take back to Jerusalem for the mother church. And so they probably had a lot of money. I mean, there's a lot of temptation. So Paul says, okay, let's do a different thing here. So then he, he, he backtracks, goes all the way back up through Macedonia and down back uh, uh, down the uh, eastern coast of the Aegean Sea and finally departs. So anyway, um, the bird's eye view. Okay, why all this sudden movement? Why, why is Paul suddenly, he's two years in Ephesus, right? And then just, he's everywhere all of a sudden. Within a matter of, of five, six verses, he's gone all over uh, Asia, Macedonia, and Greece twice. <laughs> you know, <laughs> after two years in Ephesus. And um, so, Paul leaves Ephesus because of the riots. Okay? And then, he leaves Corinth because the Holy Spirit... And now, we're not told this. Luke doesn't tell this in, in, uh, in verse... say three months. And then when the... Verse three. Three months in Corinth. And then he was ready to go. Luke doesn't tell this in verse three. We actually don't learn this until much later in the chapter that Paul left Corinth because... In verse 22 of chapter 20, he says, Now I go in the Spirit to Jerusalem, knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city. Now I go bound in the Spirit. In other words, when he was in Corinth, in Greece, the Holy Spirit got a hold of him and said, You have to go back to Jerusalem immediately. And we're not told that in verse 3, but that's what it was. And actually, Paul confesses that he doesn't know what's going to happen to him there. He doesn't know why. 
but he just knows that he's got to go. So, so those are the two sort of things that happen. The riots cause him to leave Ephesus, and he travels around. And when he's in Corinth, the Holy Spirit gets a hold of him and says, you've got to get back to Jerusalem. So then suddenly Paul's up and he's moving again. So let's think about Ephesus. He was there for two years. That's a long time. That's time to make friends. That's time to sort of create a rhythm of life, establish some community, you know, find your favorite coffee shop, find your favorite place to go have a lunch meeting, you know, uh, your favorite place to do a Bible study. You sort of get in a rhythm of life after, man, two years, right? And as Paul was in Ephesus, you know, he was called to be an apostle. So it's almost like he just almost overstayed his welcome in Ephesus, not in the sense that the people didn't want him there, but in the sense that he was an apostle, not a pastor. And so when the riot came in Ephesus, and it was, and he realized that the riot really had to do with him, that people didn't like him, and that he, his physical presence in Ephesus was about to cause a lot of trouble, uh, he realized that it was he was going to be more of a hindrance to the growth of the church in Ephesus than a help. And so it was time for him to leave. And now, that's, that's a very difficult position to be in because he probably was enjoying just a little bit of time after... I mean, he the guy had been moving a lot. And he did stay some time in Corinth with Aquila and Priscilla. But, and, but he got a nice little window in Ephesus, but... The riot signaled to him, i got to move on. I'm an apostle, and I have to leave. And so, what's the quick application here? In ministry, uh, you got to be careful not to build everything around yourself. I mean, Paul could have stayed in Ephesus and just, you know, been the head of the church there. He could have become bishop, and that's it. But see, as an apostle, Paul was called to train leaders, establish the church, train leaders, and move on. Not to build the church in these little cities around him, but to train others to grow the, and disciple the church. And so he came to a place in Ephesus where he realized, he, he realized he's got... Now, do I think Paul would have left even without the right? I do. Yeah, I do. Um, I think he was hearing God. God would have revealed that to him, but Ephesus was the catalyst to say, I got to go, right? Now, sometimes that happens in our lives where something happens and it's like an event just creates... In our awareness, it's time, you know? And so we have to be open to that and listening and, and looking for that and not, not be too settled and not fight it when God says it's time. Um, and so it, another application in ministry, uh, especially apostolic or evangelistic ministry, you've got to know when it's time to move on. You've got to know when it's time to move on uh, from a certain location. And when you've, you've done your task there and it's time to go. And that's something that, that I, you know, we watch all the time here uh, at Rick Bonfim Ministries is when is it time to uh, close the chapter of something and move on? We have to do that with interns, <laughs> right? <laughs> we think the time has, has come. Move on. And sometimes I can think of a few scenarios that I won't go into. It's an event that happens and we go, I think it's time. <laughs> well, that happens in life. That happens in ministry. But you've you got to be open you got to be listening to what god is saying and watching the events so that you know when it's looking for signals for god to speak to reveal something to you so then 
After three months in Corinth, Paul gets another signal by the Holy Spirit and says, uh, i got to get out of here. And of course, you know, the reason he spent three months in, in Corinth is obvious if you read the books of First and Second Corinthians. You know, he was just desperately trying to help them come to a place where they were, where they were together on this whole thing. Um, but the Holy Spirit said, you know, you got to go. Um, let's look at verse 16. Again, it gives a sense of urgency. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem if possible on the day of Pentecost. So there's just an urgency, you know. So Paul's original plan was probably to get to Jerusalem before Passover, but because of the, because of the plot to kill him, um, you know, he sort of rearranged and said, all right, well, I'll have, he ended up having Passover in Philippi, and then he said, well, I've got to get there by Pentecost. That's 50 days, okay? Um, so he's traveling with a lot of guys, right? Most likely all these guys are representatives from the churches in Asia, Macedonia, and Greece who are uh, appointed to help carry all the offerings. You know, they didn't, they didn't carry, you know, $100 bills. You know, when you talk about carrying an offering, it was different back then. You know, you're not talking about, a, you know, when we go to Cuba, we, we you know, divide all the offerings uh, among the group leaders and everybody takes a little bit in a little envelope, right? Well, they didn't have little envelopes with paper currency. You know? So they divided up, you know, it was in a chest or in a bag and it was heavy. And, you, and so they divided it up between several different people, all these representatives to take the money. And so that's why all these guys are there. And so then in verse 6, Luke starts a clock on Paul. Okay? And you begin to get the sense of urgency because from Passover to Pentecost is 50 days. And so Luke is counting now. Paul has got to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. And so they spend five days in one place, seven days in another. And so now Paul is on a clock. So quick application here. Sometimes in ministry, there is urgency and God will put you on a clock. Now, what's the benefit of that? Well, that means you're not just drifting and making it up. In other words, in other words God is the best manager and he will, he will give you a deadline. You've got to make the deadline. So the Holy Spirit said to Paul, Get your tail to Jerusalem and said, Okay, you might not make it by Passover, but you better get there by Pentecost. I mean, Paul has this sense of urgency. Now, have you ever been around someone who just refuses in ministry to have an urgency about anything. It's like shaking hands with a dead fish. You ever had a pastor in your church like that? I'm not going to name names, but I have. There's no urgency of anything. Everything's fine. We will just take nothing was going to rattle us or get us out of our place of peace. And what happens is everybody goes to sleep with you. There's no urgency. There's no... There's no intensity. There's, there's, there's no movement to do anything. There's got to, sometimes the Lord requires you to move fast, and you've got to get on the ball. It's not what you want. It, it, you're just trying to catch up with God. And Paul here, you know, he's on a mission. 
He's not just floating around and drifting and doing whatever he wants. God is giving him direction. And so he, he is beelining towards that direction. And so when you find that direction, stick on it. Don't move from that goal. There'll be all kinds of things that'll come in and try to derail you. But but when God tells you where you gotta go, then you gotta go. And have a sense of urgency about it. It's okay to, you know, uh move fast in ministry and to get it done and to not wait. Sometimes uh when we're in the mission field we do the altar call first. Why? Because people are ready. Actually, a 45-minute sermon is going to deter them from coming. (laughs) So, you do the altar call first, and then you get them saved, and if there's time for preaching later, great. But if salvation and healing and deliverance is the most important thing in that moment, do it! Urgency in ministry. So, if you're of the camp, or if you've sort of swallowed that Kool-Aid of, you know, ministry is supposed to be just this very peaceful thing. You know, I, I, honestly, I just, I can't read the Bible and buy that. And that's cultural. That's people just wanting to, you know, have a social club and then go watch football. Sometimes ministry requires urgency. It requires you to be on a clock. It requires you to submit to a deadline. And to get something done on time, not whenever you want to. So, if you are slacking, I didn't really mean to preach like that. (laughs) But if you're slacking, if you're called of God, and you're slacking, and you're wasting time, and you know you need to be getting it done, I just want to encourage you to respond to that. Just come to God and say, God, I confess that I have not taken seriously enough what you have asked me to do. And I want to make a change, God. Help me to. Help me to get rid of those things in my life that are just making me complacent and putting me to sleep and making me passive in ministry. Give me that sense of get it done for the Lord that Paul had. Alright, I preached on that enough now. Okay. So let's move on and we're going to do Eutychus for the last ten minutes. Now this is a funny passage, right? People love this. Let's read it. Paul gets to Troas after Passover. He gets to Troas, and and so he spends the night there, but he doesn't just spend the night. He's not looking for sleep. Paul is trying to maximize his time. So he preaches all night. Let's read verse 7 to 12. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room, where they were gathered together, and in the window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. His soul, that's his soul is in him. Now when he had come up and broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. Right? Now this is one of those passages that I've heard some interesting things taught about it. 
Let me point out a few. Here are some things. I have heard sermons and teachings that go this direction. This passage is here because Luke is warning us not to fall asleep in church. Number two, this is an example of pastors that they should not preach long sermons. Okay, you heard that one? Yeah. Number three, uh, this is a warning not to get bored with your Christian faith. Okay. The fourth one I've heard is, this is an example, this is the first example of youth ministry. And it teaches youth pastors that they need to make their youth ministry more fun so the kids don't get bored. I've heard that. That those are those are some that that that's that's what people are getting out of this passage. Many. I looked on the internet and I was very depressed. I was sitting there on the couch with my wife last night, and I and I and I kept showing her one. I said, look at this. Look at what this guy says. Youth ministry. God help us. Now look, I'm not I'm not the answer to to every Bible study. I just and convicted that there's more in here than than the fact that we should, uh, you know, not get bored or that we shouldn't fall asleep in church or that youth pastors need to be creative. Okay, so uh, I think I think the Lord has something more profound going on here. So let's look sort of what I what in my heart as I prayed and I thought it because I really prayed about it. And I thought about it. I said, okay, Lord, what's going on? And, and I believe that Luke here is marking the beginning of the end, okay, the beginning of the end of Paul's missionary ministry with a resurrection. Now, we've seen that before. It actually is similar to the Gospel of John. There's, it's called the Book of Signs by some. There's seven signs. The last sign is the resurrection of Lazarus. After the resurrection of Lazarus in the Gospel of John is when Jesus begins to go towards the cross. That's the beginning of the end in the ministry of Jesus. Okay, This is, so to speak, the beginning of the end in Paul's missionary ministry. He's about to go to Jerusalem where he's going to be arrested and then go through all the trials and end up in Rome. So I think it's the same with Paul. Paul's ministry to Eutychus and resurrecting him from the dead it marks sort of a pinnacle point in the ministry of Paul and his missionary ministry. And it's like it's a stamp of approval to those who are reading it that Paul um, is validated by God. And actually, I think it's, it's God. I think God was ministering to Paul in this situation. Because, see, Paul is about to get arrested and go through some of the most... I mean, you think it was tough before. He's about to really go through it. And so God gives him an experience that he can remember over and over again as he's about to go and stand trial and all these guys and go to Rome and stand trial and end up a martyr. And so, so towards the end of his missionary ministry, God gives him a miracle, an experience. I mean, think about how many times Paul would have thought about Eutychus and him coming back to life as he prayed for him. Has, that, has God ever given you an experience that you lean on? If all you lean on is your mental theology, when push comes to shove, and you're getting persecuted, it ain't going to work. 
You've got to have a personal experience. And I just believe in my heart that Paul needed that. He was going to need to remember this experience. If you haven't had an experience that marks some, a miracle, something God did in your life, you need to go to Cuba with us as soon as we travel. Come to Brazil. And, you know, we're, just come. We won't manufacture anything. We're not going to try to force any experience. We simply are trying to create an environment where God will move in your life. And I've seen it over and over again. I myself have many experiences on the Cuba trips that I've gone to where God just did it. It wasn't me. And, and it's encouraging. It lifts me up. It validates me that, oh, God, you're really with me. You're really in this. I mean, it builds you up. I mean, I, I think Paul needed that. And then this, this really validates Paul to anybody who's reading it. So let's look at some of the... Um, that, that's sort of the bird's eye view, right? Sort of why I think Luke put it here in this passage. So let's look at some particulars real quick. The first day of the week is the first reference to Christians meeting on Sundays. Now, this was a working day, okay? This was a working day. So, the meeting would have started in the evening, and Eutychus would, probably would have been tired, okay? <laughs> Many lights in the upper room. Um, two possible reasons this was included. It could be a reference to the fact that all of the, all of the smoke given off by the oil lamps were the reason that Eutychus was sitting by the window to get some fresh air. Um, you know, it also could be included to refute the early theory that Christians met in darkness, you know, for unholy purposes. People made up stuff about Christians all the time. The phrase, a certain young man, he wasn't a teenager. This is not youth ministry. Okay, the, the term there refers to um, a grown man, roughly 25 to 40, which makes me feel good, because that means in... According to this term, I'm still in the young men category. Of course, later this year I, I graduate out of it. But anyway, but he probably worked really hard all day and was, was tired. Now, when it says that he was overcome by sleep, the phrase there says that sleep overcame him. In other words, it implies that he was fighting sleep. He was trying to stay awake. He wasn't bored. You know, that, I'm a little angry at the... Anyway, all right. So it was up on the third loft, large upper space, probably about two to three hundred can meet there. And when it says he was taken up dead, okay, some who read the Bible with eyes of doubt suggest that Eutychus was not actually dead, but he was merely unconscious. But the Greek clearly states that he was dead. And when it says that he was taken up, it means somebody, it doesn't say who, but somebody got to the body before Paul. Somebody took him up. Okay, that... That the verb there is actually lifting, removing. Somebody dealt with the body of Eutychus before Paul. So somebody verified him dead. Luke, the doctor writing this, said the guy was dead. Okay, so we, I'm not going to question that. Okay? As I question that, I've got to question the whole Bible. All right. So, so we're not going to go that route. He was dead. And now it says that Paul fell on him and embraced him. And this is, the last, this is the last reference I'm going to make to sort of give some context for this passage. It's very similar to Elijah in 1 Kings 17. And I won't read the whole thing. I don't think I have time. But Elijah with the widow's son, the, the son dies. 
and uh, she's distraught, you know, and she says, you know, what are you doing here if you just come here for my son to die? So, you know, Elijah says, give me your son. She, he takes him upstairs, and he, he stretches himself out over the child three times and cries out. This is verse 21 of 1 Kings 17. Oh, Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. And then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. Okay, a very famous story. There's only ten resurrections recorded in the Bible. Okay, Elijah gets one of them. Peter gets one. Paul gets one. Jesus gets three. Now I can't remember them all. Many people rise when at Jesus' death. So anyway, but, but Paul gets one of them. One out of ten is given to Paul. And Elijah gets one too. So now, then this is what the lady says to Elijah after the son was resurrected in verse 24. Now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. So, yes, I believe that Luke is saying the same thing about Paul through this Eutychus, that the life and ministry of Paul that we've read about, these three missionary journeys, is validated by God at the end of his mission ministry with a resurrection. Have you had an experience where God moved and you can mark it as a time that God moved in your ministry? Or are you looking for superficial things like, you know, attendance. Attendance numbers, right? Or, uh, you know, Intellectual exercises, salary—that's a good one too. I didn't think about—I didn't think about money, but yeah, fame, popularity, right? How you feel—you feel good about yourself. People said you had a good sermon. What's measuring your success? How? What makes you feel validated in ministry? Is it that God moved? What's your measure? Look for a measure and ask God to validate your ministry. And if God doesn't validate it, then you need to start praying different prayers. God, I want a ministry that's real. And if that's not your heart, then then you really need to come to Cuba. You know? And and we'll 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 get we'll see if we can get you zapped. Amen. Alright, my time's up. It's a pleasure being here with you this morning. Continue to watch. We have some great Bible studies coming up right after me. And uh we'll be here again tomorrow morning as well. Have a great day. He gives the joy of His salvation. Oh, God's mercy so amazes me. As I watch the world around me, I can see His mighty hand delivering His people from the evil in this land. The wounded and the broken-hearted lift their voice in prayer as they feel the touch of His amazing grace. Oh, God's mercy so amazing.
Oh God's mercy, so amazing. 